know, we're today, of course, continuing uh, the series that we have on uh, when the walls are down. In fact, this is the final um, message in that series. It's been an incredible series. I told Pastor Jay this morning, I said, man, I, I just love the timing of, of how God gave us this and how we've shared this with our church. The, Nehemiah has always been a, a great book, but man, I have fallen in love with Nehemiah this summer. And I hope you have as well. There was a man in a, in a Pentecostal church who was uh, sitting there enjoying the presence of God and, and really enjoying it big time. And he had his hand up and he was, he was saying, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. He kept saying it. Lord, fill me. Fill me. And his wife was sitting next to him. She about had all she could handle. She stood up and screamed, no, Lord, don't do it. He leaks. He leaks, yes. Isn't that true for all of us? We leak. Sometimes we're just ablaze with this incredible spiritual commitment. But over time, that fire tends to begin to fade and to go out and, and even in some become cold. And that's exactly what Nehemiah 13 is about. Let me just sort of give you sort of, since this is the last one, let me sort of encapsule Nehemiah for you. It started off, there was this guy, a Jewish guy in Persia, who happened to be like the cupbearer to the king of the world. And he had great favor with him, and he was burdened when he heard that Jerusalem was in, in ruins. The walls were in ruins, and people were being taken by the enemy, being uh, robbed and, and vandalized and and it broke his heart, and he prayed about it. And God gave him an opening, and he shared it with the king. And basically, the king said, hey, dude, why don't you, why don't you do something about it? And he said, okay, I was thinking about maybe leaving for like 12 years. And, uh, and going over there and trying to rebuild the wall, the king said, hey, go for it. In fact, I'll pay for it. <laughs> and I'll give you my, my approval. So he went, and, and uh, he got to Jerusalem, saw it in ruins. He gathered together the people there, and in a record 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. Now, all during that time, there were bad guys trying to talk them out of it and threaten them and, and keep them from doing it, but they did it anyway. Then, uh, after hearing the Word of God read at the end, they had this great celebration. The people rejoiced. The joy of the Lord was their strength. They had the biggest party that had ever been had in Jerusalem, and um, the wall was dedicated. They had a, a rededication to the Lord. It was an incredible time. And then Nehemiah got to be the governor for 12 years. So basically, can we say, and everyone lived happily ever after? That would be great. Nehemiah was there for 12 years as a governor. And then in chapter 12, it says that he, he left to go back. He went to retirement went back to his original home where the king of Persia was. He left Jerusalem in, good play, in a good place. He went back to retire. And the Bible says, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem was heard far away. Sounds great, doesn't it? Well, he decided he needed to like come to homecoming or something over in Jerusalem. So he decided to make one more visit to the city. Don't know exactly how long it was, but it was several years later. Nehemiah shows up at Jerusalem again, and when he gets back, he finds it's almost 
a disaster. He was appalled. He couldn't believe it. I know some of you right now are going, you mean we've done this whole book and found out it's all, <laughs> it didn't work? It was all like for nothing? Nehemiah goes back and he finds that sin had not only crept into the city and the people's lives, but it was running rampant through the city. I remember uh, hearing Peggy's mom and dad, you know, they were missionaries for 30 some odd years in Paraguay, and they would come home every four years for a furlough, and then they would go spend their time in Paraguay. I remember having a conversation with them when they came back and said, every time we came home from furlough, we looked at America and said, good grief, how things have changed, uh, not always in a good way, how, how moral, um, moral decadence has has slipped into our country. I remember them telling me that every time, and, and when they got back, they just saw it for the first time the way it really was. You see, good beginnings don't guarantee happy endings. Think about it. Think about marriages. Half of marriages in America end in divorce. Good beginnings do not guarantee happy endings. For all of you physics majors, which I am not, uh, there's this thing called the second law of thermodynamics, which basically says this, in a closed system, everything moves toward disorder. In other words, uh, everything naturally moves from order to disorder. That's why when you go on a vacation in the summer, your well-managed yard looks like a jungle when you get back. It's, it's what happens when a toddler left alone can destroy a clean house in five minutes. It's why our bodies break down over time. It's why everything, when it gets old, begins to deteriorate. That's what happens. It's, it's a law. It's a law of physics. Well, it's a spiritual law as well. If you have a spiritual life and you just leave it alone and you don't tend it and you don't renew it, it is going to fall into disorder. It is going, you're going to... It, um, you're going to have this thing called entropy that happens where things just begin to disintegrate. Your spiritual muscle will disintegrate. There was a guy named Stanley Horton who was, uh, those of you that have been Assembly of God forever, you read all of Stanley Horton's Sunday school lessons for all of your life. He's just, he was an incredible scholar, man of God. He was a guy that uh, taught me in seminary. Uh, Stanley Horton said one time, there are two factors that will determine where you will be in 10 years. He told pastors this. There are two factors that will determine where you will be 10 years from now. Number one, the books you read, and number two, the friends you keep. What you fill your mind with and, what, and who you spend your time with will determine where you are in 10 years. The truth is, we leak. Moral permissiveness always begins as, a, as an innocent little trickle and, uh, through the dam, and before long, it will widen until the dam gives way. And damage can be serious. Quite frankly, the truth is, we leak. That man's wife was right. We leak. We see it in our country right now. Can you believe, some of you that have been in Alabama for a while, can you believe the lottery issues coming up again? I remember 16 years ago, I think it was, 
we were in prayer meetings in that in, in what is now Critterland. That was a it was a, a youth room then. We were in meetings and we had been praying a long time about that whole idea about the gambling lottery in Alabama. And everybody said, "Oh, it's going to pass. It's going to pass." And miraculously, that thing did not pass. And I remember, Clark, you remember that? We just had this incredible rejoicing time. That uh, and God's people actually, church people, God's people stood up and 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 said no to that to that thing. We're we're there again. We're there again, and what are the predictions now? The predictions are it's going it's to uh, make its way through. What about the decline of marriage? What about the redefining of marriage? Anybody ever thought those kind of things would happen in our land? What about the prevalence of out-of-wedlock births in our country, of sexual permissiveness, the decline of bedrock Christianity in our society? In fact, the ignoring of it the total secularization of our culture. Listen, we never saw that coming, but it came. It came one step at a time. It's exactly what happens when spiritual life is ignored. Too easily, this is what happens. An ugly thing becomes tolerated, and then it becomes possibly a useful thing. And then it becomes a permissible thing. And finally, it becomes an attractive thing. Is that not what's happened in our society? Is that not what happens in our lives individually? Sin may start off as an ugly thing. Pretty soon it becomes useful. Then it becomes permissible. And then it becomes attractive. And try to talk everybody into it. We see that in our world. It doesn't happen in a moment. Standards are lowered gradually, imperceptibly. Then sin becomes known by another name, a nicer name. And then we accommodate at, at this stage in life something we would never have accommodated before. It would have been totally unacceptable. Well, here's what happened. Now, I want you to see this picture in chapter 13 of Nehemiah. Look, if you will, with me in verses 7 and 8. Nehemiah, coming back to visit said, I arrived in Jerusalem and learned of the wrong that Elishib had done, turning over to him a room in the courts of the temple of God. I was angry, really angry. And I threw everything in the room out on the street, all of Tobiah's stuff. Let me tell you what had happened. There was this guy named Tobiah. Tobiah was one of the guys, if you've been here for the series, he hung out with Sanballat the Gnat. Sanballat, the enemy of God's people. Tobiah was one of the enemies. He was the, guy that, he was the guy that threatened them as they built the wall. He was the guy that cursed them. He was running around with God's enemies. He was one of the guys getting money from the robbers who were robbing God's people. This guy was living in the temple. This guy had rented a room in the temple. And here's why. Because the priest had married into his family. And the priest said, hey, you have a room over at the house. He let him live there. Good gravy. That's not a good thing. And when he saw that, he, Nehemiah flipped out. He couldn't believe that had happened. By the way, Tobiah, the word Tobiah, is, Tobiah wasn't a Jew. He was an Ammonite. But he took on a Jewish name. Isn't that what happens? By the way, the word Tobiah means God is good. Hey, hey, listen. Can't you just see it? 
Can't you see the Ammonite guy who doesn't respect or love God or honor God comes in and goes, hey, can I have a room in the temple? What's your name, man? God's good, man. God's good all the time. God is good all the time. Can't you see he put on the, put on the God is good show, known by another name. They let him live in the temple. Man, Nehemiah flipped out. He didn't, he didn't consider it a creative alternative use for a temple room. <laughs> he called it evil. Wasn't a popular word to apply to what was going on in the priest household, but Nehemiah didn't tone it down. He saw the enemy infiltrating the city. Have you ever heard of the Trojan horse story in Greek literature? That's what this is. This guy that was the enemy found a way to get in the city. He married into the priest's family and got to live in the temple. Well, Nehemiah was flipped out about that. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me. And then I learned that the Levites, that's the priest, hadn't been given their regular food allotments, so the Levites and singers who led the services of worship had all left and gone back to their farms. I called the officials on the carpet. Why has the temple of God been abandoned? <laughs> what happened was there were priests Ministers that were hired there, singers, different people that did the, the temple work, and because Tobiah was living in the storehouses where they're, they're, they were collecting tithes so that they could pay those people, Tobiah took them over, they couldn't pay them anymore, so they had to go out and start a farm out somewhere, and the things of the temple were not happening. The priest was doing a couple little things here and there, but the people were not having their regular temple worship, and, and he was Flaming mad about that. Why has the temple of God been abandoned? The people had stopped, the priest had stopped collecting the people's tithes. Hey, I read a story the other day that I thought was incredible. There's a missionary that tells about a, a church in Thailand. Now, Thailand is not a Christian nation, but there, we do have missionaries there. And there's a church, a large church of 400 members in Thailand where every member tithes. Whoa. 400 members and every member tithes. They all receive a weekly wage of about 40 stangs. I don't know what a stang is, but it's, it's like less than 20 cents in American currency. And they get rice. Of this existence, everyone gives a tenth of their income every week. Because of this, this church of 400 has built their own building, they pay their own pastor, and they have sent two missionary families to start churches in leper colonies. And guess what? That church of 400, all 400 of them are lepers. They themselves are lepers. And the greatest joy of their life is being a witness for Christ by starting new churches. It's amazing what happens when people take the word of God and obey it and use it. Um, hey, that wasn't all he saw. Look at verse 15 and 18. Look at this. During those days, while back in Judah, I also noticed people treaded wine presses, brought in sacks of grain, loaded up their donkeys on the Sabbath. They brought, bought wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of stuff to sell on the Sabbath. So I spoke up and warned them about selling food on that day. 
Tyrians living there brought in fish and whatever else, selling it to Judeans in Jerusalem, mind you, on the Sabbath, confronting the leaders of Judah. What's going on here? This evil, profaning the Sabbath. Isn't this exactly what your ancestors did? Because of it, God didn't bring down on us in this city all this misery? He, they now, there wasn't any temple worship hardly going on. So they ignored the Sabbath and they began to trade with other nations. And the, and the whole idea was, well, look, the guys from, from the foreign country of Tyre, they show up on Sabbath, you know. They come on Sunday and, dude, we, 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 have, to, we have to do our business. We, we, you know, we got to make a living. Forget God, we got to make a living. They became focused on financial profit on God's day, and they ignored God. This was after all that Nehemiah had done and Ezra had done. I know you're, you're going, oh my gosh, these people have flipped out big time. You know, I, I, I just take my hat off. Well, I'm, not that I'm wearing one this morning, but I honor Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I just honor Chick-fil-A. I went to school with uh, Mr. Kathy. Uh, that was the guy that started Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. I went to school with his son. Peggy and I were in Samford with his son and daughter. Um, and uh, I remember even then, they always closed on Sundays. They always made sure they closed on Sundays. And uh, just recently this year, uh, the dad, the guy that started it, passed away. And his son his oldest son took over Chick-fil-A, and the first thing he said was, we will remain closed on Sunday. Um, you know what's amazing about that? Chick-fil-A is the number one, number one fast food uh, franchise in America. Number one. Isn't it amazing, the blessing of God? And they are doing it on one less day than McDonald's. Anybody remember when Walmart used to be closed on Sunday? Yep. When old Mr. Walmart was there, Mr. whatever his name is. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> it's amazing how financial profit, just thinking, I, I can just think, hey, man, that's one more day. We can make some bucks. It's amazing how God blesses people who honor him and who honor his word, who make time for God. Hey, that one all, he saw more. <laughs> Join with me in verses 23 through 28. Also in those days, I saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, those were not just little suburbs. Those were foreign countries who did not know God. Half the children couldn't even speak the language of Judah. They all, they all knew the language of Ashdod or some other tongue. So I took those men to task. I gave them a piece of my mind, even slapped some off and jerked them by the hair. I'm reading this out of the Message Bible because it's so cool. <laughs> I made them swear to God, don't marry your daughters to their sons and don't let their daughters marry your sons and don't you yourselves marry them. Didn't Solomon, king of Israel, uh, sin because of the women just like these? Even though there was no king quite like him and God who loved him and made him king of Israel, foreign women were his downfall one of the sons of Joida, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Nat. I drove him out of my presence. That word means I beat the tar out of him and got him out of the house. <laughs> now, he's talking about here, the men of Israel were intermarrying with the women of these pagan lands around them. 
Now, let me tell you what. He's not talking about racial intermarriage being the issue here. He's talking about people who do not know God becoming one with people who know God. It's called the unequal yoke, and the New Testament has the same standard. Exactly. Nehemiah realized that when the children are raised in the home of these foreign spouses, the children are going to learn the tongue of their mother who spends their time with them. And the kids are not even going to know how to speak Hebrew and read God's scripture. And all of a sudden the kids are going to be like mama and they're going to serve her gods and her culture and be just like her. And he, he said, I see the enemy. The enemy wants to destroy the people by this thing, by intermarrying with sin. Now, it wasn't the people that God was mad at. Remember, Ruth was from Moab. She was David's great-grandmother. But what was different about Ruth? Ruth followed the God of Israel. Ruth said to Naomi, wherever you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And, and she became the great-grandmother of, Jesus, uh, of David and one of the descendants of Jesus himself. That's not the issue. Don't get me wrong on that. What the issue is, when God's people look to the world to find someone to become one with and raise their family, it is not good. It, does, it still doesn't work. The Ammonites, Tobiah was an Ammonite, worshipped a god called Moloch that sacrificed young children in a fire to their god. The Moabites worshipped a god named Chemosh the same way. Children born to these intermarriages couldn't speak the Jewish language, and they didn't learn the Jewish law. They were ignorant of the ways of God, and their parents were okay with it. Now listen to what I'm saying. That is part of the problem in America right now. No, that is part of the problem in the church right now. In Christian Families, sometimes families say, it's okay that my kids don't know the ways of God. It's all right. I just want them to be successful. I just want them to be culturally accepted. I just want them to not have any, any problems in their life. So who cares what it is? And they don't lay down for their own children those priorities that are important. I, I'm telling you, I feel that strongly. And that is why that is why families are falling apart, homes are falling apart, and the nation falls apart. I, I believe that with all my heart. In, it, in, it, uh, in, in this story, just a few years earlier, the people from Ammon and Ashdod and Moab were lined up outside the walls of Jerusalem as enemies. And now, yesterday's enemies are today's marriage partners. Think about that, folks. Yesterday's enemies being today's marriage partners. Something's wrong. Now, it's easy to see uh, the faults of other people uh, and, and be able to point and say, yeah, that's what's happening in America. God bless it. There's, that's what's happening. These people ought not to do this and people ought not to do that. But it's another thing to look at ourselves and see a slow fade that may happen in our own lives. That's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. Nothing will happen in our nation until something happens in us. As you read God's word, ask God, God, where have I slipped into the ways of the godless world and godless culture? After you deal with yourself, then I encourage husbands and fathers and mothers to start giving godly leadership to your children and correction to your family's uh, trajectory that you're taking. 
You understand what Nehemiah faced. He was blown away by the backsliding of the people. Totally blown away by it. So what did he do about it? Well, he did, he did the same thing we've got to do, and that's really where I'm going today. All that's been introduction. It isn't time for you today to get defensive and anger about what I'm saying or what the Word's saying. It's time to take seriously this warning for ourselves personally. We leak. We leak. Spiritual moral, moral permissiveness is an ongoing problem that we have to deal with. Like Nehemiah, we have to detect it by God's Word and confront it in our lives if we want to hear well done when we stand before the Lord. So what do we do? What's God asking? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, today, I'm going to give you three things that I believe are calls that God would say to us today. Three things. The first is this, the call to open our eyes. Recognize what's happening in your life. Recognize what's happening in the life of your children. Recognize it. Sometimes it's better to see, it's easier to see in someone else. Look at what's going on in your kids. Look at what your kids prioritize and say, where did they get that? <laughs> did they get that from me? It, it's a question we need to ask. The Bible says that, that uh, Nehemiah cursed them. Now, he didn't curse them like cuss at them. That's not what it's talking about. What he said was, he told them, he, he said, this is a curse in your life. If you do this, your kids will do this. That's the truth. He told them the truth. Isn't that what the Lord says? The sins of the fathers will be passed down to the other generations. That's a biblical truth. And that's what he told them. I always tell people, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. And that is true. Listen, what you do in excess now, your parents did in moderation. That's how society crumbles. <clears throat> See it for what it is. The thief coming to kill, steal, and destroy your family, your legacy, your, your, your home. See the big picture, not just the offense of the word spoken. <laughs> See the big picture. The answer is not political. It's not political. The answer is not the answer is not intellectual. The answer is spiritual. We're in a spiritual war, and we've got to fight it with spiritual weapons of warfare. The second call, take action. In Alabama English, that means do something. Don't just sit there. Nehemiah did. He got serious. He got crazy about it. Did you read some of the things he did? Maybe it needs to be a, in, 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 in our lives, maybe it needs to be a personal repentance of certain sins. Maybe it needs to be that. Maybe it needs rearranging your priorities. Maybe it needs a new direction in life. Maybe it needs making some strong decisions about relationships. Maybe it means adding accountability in your life or adding discipline in your life. Maybe it means stop doing this and start doing something else. Maybe it means becoming more and more faithful to God's work and God's call to be more and more connected to God's people. Maybe it means a renewed commitment to God, to his house, to his work. I don't know what it means for you personally, but we got to take action. We can't just say, yeah, praise God, I'm telling you. Praise the Lord, the nation's really crumbling. You can't say that. you got to do something. 
Do something. Take action. Now here's the third call. It's a, it's a call to pray for zeal. Don't you love that word, zeal? I like any word that starts with a Z. Zeal. Nehemiah had zeal. Boy, did he have zeal. <laughs> he was throwing furniture out of the storeroom of the temple. I wish I could have seen that. He fired the priest. I'm talking, you're fired. He fired the priest that refused to collect tithes from the people. He fired them. And he went and hired the guys that had farms down there. They were trying to make, he said, y'all come back and do what you're supposed to do. These guys are gone, fired. He chased away the high priest's son and his family, chased them out of the, out of the uh, temple. He threatened physical violence to the merchants who were camping outside the city on the Sabbath day, those Ammonites. And, and all. He threatened them. He pulled the hair of people who violated the temple, he grabbed them by the beard and drug them around. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to see that. I mean, the guy was flaming mad. I, I've been flaming mad before. I have. I've been flaming mad. I, I remember as a youth pastor, I got flaming mad more than once when I saw sin just destroying people. One time I sort of, I sort of showed up at a party that was going on that some of my people were at. I sort of lost it. I did. I remember saying to people, you better get out of this house right now. You better get out of this house right now or I'm going to tear you up. And you know what? I, they were scared enough to, to leave. They sure did. I, so I, you know, you, you start, you start thinking, if, it, if it's your kid involved, by the way, it wasn't, but if it's your kid involved, you really get mad. You better not. <laughs> you, no, 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 no. This one belongs to me and belongs to the Lord. <laughs> I think uh, it's sort of hard for us sometimes to understand Nehemiah's reaction. He's a man of God and a man of prayer. How could he get so mad? <laughs> well, we begin to maybe question his integrity. Well, I'll tell you what, he doesn't have the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe he's just some legalist. Maybe he's got unrealistic rules. Maybe he's too big for his britches. He's been around King Artaxerxes too long. Now he's a bully. Now he's a tyrant. Now I think the problem is most of us have bowed down too long to the shrine of Mr. Nice Guy when it comes to dealing with sin. Uh, Mr. Nice Guy can't deal with sin. It's true. Mr. Nice Guy needs to deal with people but not with sin. Nehemiah doesn't fit into that. He was zealous for his fellow believers. He was zealous for God. He was zealous for the safety of the people of God. He was zealous to build a wall. He knew what happened when the walls are down. He was zealous for that. He didn't go try to do a truce between him and the thieves that were breaking in. No, he got zealous about it. He wanted to do something about it. He was as zealous to obey the word of God, not just convenient parts of it. He was zealous to, for the favor of God above all else. He was zealous to accomplish the will of God. He was zealous. He wasn't always nice. He was zealous. Oh, Nehemiah wasn't always pleasant. Nehemiah wasn't that well-spoken statesman. No, he was a man of conviction. He was a man of principle, a man of zeal. He refused compromise. He stood up on the authority of the word and said, uh, he will not shake himself free from the authority God had given him. I wonder, was Mr. Moses a nice guy with Pharaoh? 
Did he work out a compromise? Was Elijah a nice guy on top of Mount Carmel when he called down fire from heaven? What about David? Was he a nice guy to Goliath? Mr. Goliath, could you leave, please? You're in my personal space. Was Mr. Paul a nice guy? Let me ask you this. Was Jesus Mr. Nice Guy when he dealt with sin? When he was zealous for his father's house and he went in with a rope, started turning tables over? We have a problem with that sometimes. Well, that wasn't the fruits of the Spirit. He was the Spirit. Good grief. I'm telling you, sometimes we need to get zealous about some things. I don't mean mad at people. I'm talking about zealous about sin and what sin's doing to people. Listen, you'd fight for your children if you knew they were being taken under, wouldn't you? Well, come on. The U.S. Marines don't become marine, great Marines by learning about culture. They don't. Navy SEALs and Army Rangers don't become the best of the best by taking sensitivity training tests. No, they're committed, rigorous, rigorous training involved. They apply toughness to themselves, not just to other people. And then when I'm in trouble, I'm calling one of them. I'm not calling a sensitivity trainer. We got to pray for that toughness and zeal of Nehemiah in our lives. Otherwise, we will watch in our own lives the incredible gains that we make spiritually in our church or in our lives become mush if we don't become zealous for the things of God. It's time to do that. Not just in our country. Not just in some political way. Because that only happens once every four years. What about once every four days in our own lives? What about saying, Satan, you've, you've directed my life enough. No more Trojan horses in the house. No more, uh, no more infiltrating my life. No more of that, God. No more. I'm not going to let any more of God happen in my life. I'm going to say to the enemy, get out. This family belongs to God. This life belongs to God. When the walls are gone, things fall apart. Folks, we leak. We leak. And sometimes there are times we need to call for somebody to stop the leak. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on. I'm early today, and I've got, um, I actually thought I would be late, but I'm early today. Um, today, I'm going to ask our, our prayer team in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come and stand. I'm going to make sure, I'd like to make sure we have plenty of people in our prayer team if you'll come and be here today. I, I feel like that today, the three challenges, the three calls I gave you, I feel like God's speaking to your hearts about it. The first call, open our eyes. Maybe you're saying, God, I don't even know what's going on in my life. I just, something inside of me is not right. There's, there's a spiritual thing missing. Maybe you need to come and say, I need somebody to pray that God will open my eyes and show me what's going on in my life or in my family. I've got, I've got to pray that. Somebody will agree to you about that. There's nothing ashamed about doing that. That's the best place to start. God, open my eyes. Is that not what Nehemiah prayed in the first chapter? Secondly, maybe God is saying to somebody in this place, it's time for you to take some action. And you're scared to death to do it. And you want somebody to come and just agree with you, God, help me take the right step of action. I mentioned some of those. To some, it may be repentance. To some, the step of action is, God, I've been leading my family wrong. I've been the wrong priorities in my family. 
God, I've been telling my kids that this is what matters when really this matters the most. Help me to make a pivot to the right way. Maybe it's like, you know, I I have kept myself from being connected with God's people and God's work. I need to renew myself to say, God, your stuff is what's important. I do not want my family to fall apart. I do not want it to happen. I'm going to be the first line of defense. Some of you need to come and we need to take a step of action. And then thirdly, God may be calling some of you this place. Pray for zeal. Maybe you don't exactly know what to do, but God, I want to be zealous for you again. Lord, I want the fire again. I want to be zealous for you and your kingdom. I think if the book of Nehemiah was saying anything to us, it's when the walls are down, the enemy has his way. Be careful that you don't build the wall up and then allow the enemy to live inside the wall. And Nehemiah says, it's time for renewal. God told us that a year ago. God told us that what he's doing at Kingwood is renewal. Folks, renewal happens like this. It it happens like this. God, it's not my brother, not my sister. It's me, oh Lord. I stand in the need of renewal. I stand in the need of you opening my eyes and giving me an action step to do. Zeal. God, I need your zeal. I feel like that's what God is saying today. I'm going to ask everyone if you'll stand with me. I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'll make yourself available and let's stretch out across the front here. If you'll come and join me. I also would like to, to say to you, if even if you don't don't feel like that you want to pray with somebody specifically. If you just want to come and stand here and pray, maybe your step is to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to let you know I mean business. I'm just going to walk down here. I'm going to walk down here and spend some time with you. If you want to do that, that's just fine. But today is a day for action. Today is a day for action. I'm not trying to be Nehemiah. I'm not going to grab you by the beard or throw a chair at you. But I want you to say to God, God, open my eyes. Show me what to do. And God, give me zeal for you, your work in your house. Father, I ask you to finish what you started in this room. Lord, finish what you started in the worship time when we were in your presence. Finish what you started when we read the word. Finish what we started when you began to prick the hearts of people. Finish what you started, Lord, by allowing people right now to respond to you. In the name and in the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you step out and come now, even as the worship team begins? Would you just step out and come? Somebody's waiting.